I must admit, I didn't think much of this show the first time I laid eyes on it. Seemed like a bunch of stiffs wasting nice the worst microphones. Trade of all time happened back in 1803. Go ahead. Napoleon Bonaparte traded the Louisiana Purchase for $3 million. Napoleon, what happened? <laughs> Half the country for $3 million. You can't even get Tucker Barnhart for $3 million. And I came to realize anymore. these guys are funny. And Justin Fields have identical stats the last five weeks about throwing the football. This guy, okay, and folks, is a some fidget of the best gamblers I've come to know. If you're betting on USC, and or TCU, let it be known, you are a square. TCU is going to hammer this team tomorrow night. I hate to hear that. Tomorrow when we afternoon. come back in here on Monday, you're going to be happy as a lark because USC lost, but you're going to be wrong about TCU. Get ready for the most useless hour of your day. It's time for Boxed Lunch, presented by Betfred Sportsbook. Now, Casey, run that track. I guess I'm a hater. That's uh, that's brought to you in courtesy by Reed Mouse. Can't say that I don't um, that I don't dislike that. It's not my genre of choice, but but I I, I, I like a lot of the old rap, the new rap. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting older and it doesn't do it for me. But some of the Eminem classic. Eminem's. Eminem, baby. Tupac, Eminem's a legend. Eminem stinks. Oh, that's, Eminem? see. Oh, Eminem I don't. Is, I just. That's what I'm talking about. Let's get the topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I, I guess I'm a hater, though. I guess I'm a hater. I uh, I just don't. That was so good. To get into topic one, I just don't. I I've started to feel this way earlier in the year when I felt like Sule Boom was a large part of the reason they were having success. Like most teams, I will admit that you always are relying on one specific guy to be able to win games most of the time. But when I watch Xavier play, it started to become a very apparent that if Sule did not play incredibly well, that they were struggling to win a game that they otherwise, in my opinion, should win. In what world... Does a good team, and I guess that's what I'm trying to classify right now, is Xavier a good team or are they just an average team? If you took, if you took Xavier and you stuck them in another league, would they be in the top four? That's the question of the day. And I know there's other leagues that, that probably they would, maybe the ACC, the leagues that aren't very good. But Pac-12. The, 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 I don't know. The Pac-12, in my opinion, might be a little better than people want to give it credit for to a certain extent. They have some bottom feeders that are terrible, you know, but – the question I have is, is there any chance in the world that Xavier can win a game going away if Sule Boom doesn't play well? And is, I guess, is that, is that even a fair criticism of this team? Their depth's terrible. If they get in any foul trouble early in the game, even when they have Fremantle, they have very little guys coming off the bench that I would, that I would be excited about coming in. Hunter's been better. Hunter's a good, he's, 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 made, he's made a huge leap from last year. I'm not downplaying that, but I'm also saying if you get into the tournament 
and one guy, one single guy on Xavier doesn't play up to their capabilities, they more than likely, in my opinion, are in a dogfight against whoever they're going to play. Yeah, the depth, the depth argument doesn't really concern me because North Carolina almost won the national championship last year with five guys. Villanova made the final four with six guys. When you get down into the nitty-gritty of the NCAA you're tournament, play five, you're playing guys. six guys. Right. Maybe a seventh for like five ten minutes, minutes yep, yep. maybe coming out of a media timeout or going into a media timeout to get somebody a break. These traditionally powerhouse teams really play six guys at the end of the season. The problem is Xavier's offensive ceiling is much lower without Fremantle. Now, the argument you could make on the flip side – is that in the first game that Xavier played against Villanova back in early January. They won by eight on the road. Yeah. They won by eight on the road. First time that Xavier had ever beaten Villanova at Villanova. In that game, Zach Fremantle had 29 points. Mm -hmm. 29 points in that game. The flip side of that, though, was that he gave up a lot of points defensively. Did not have a very good defensive game in that one. Had a fantastic offensive game. Sule had 22. Last night, you put yourself in a position, you're up 13 in the first half, things are rolling. Then in the last six and a half minutes, you score five points, three of which are on a half-court buzzer beater. It's a, tough, it's a tough spot where you keep trying to do the things, which, as I was talking to somebody else last night, one of the things that Zach does really well is catch entry passes. Yeah. He, does, he catches entry passes at an elite level. Jerome Hunter does not do that. Mm -mm. And the, I turned it over like six times in that. It was four with, straight with trips that. down the floor, yeah. wasn't it? An entry pass that... Whether it's a bounce pass down low, went off somebody's knee, the lob over the top that went out of bounds. You can't have that. So if Fremantle doesn't come back, or if we do the thing that we see so often in sports where a guy comes back and his potential is lower because he's, he's just he's not at 100%. Up. Right, he's banged up. He's banged up. He's trying to play through it, but you can tell he's not at 100% then you just you roll the ball out there, maybe you get a good matchup, and then hope something happens in the second round, you see what happens. If he comes back and he's 100%, then I think if you're a Xavier fan and they don't make the Sweet 16, you're allowed to be disappointed. Is he going to come back? As I, as that's, 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 the, that's and that's the, the question. Ball. Nobody that's knows. the question. Um, I don't know. I just, again, that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily rooting for it. Like Pearl, I'm, I'm sure that you see Bearcat fans are doing. I'm not rooting for the demise. I just watch people them. People hate on Xavier. Yeah, people hate on Xavier. I Again, am I like slightly pessimistic about this team? Yes, I am. Because I watch them, and there's times where I feel like there's no consistency. I don't, I don't know what I'm getting from anybody on any given night. Not a single guy outside of Sule who's started to show signs of him being inconsistent at this point. At the beginning of the year, at least I felt like, okay, you got a guard that is, that is a gamer. He's going to come out there every single day, and he's going to, and he's going to give you something. And lately, he's, he's started to make me question that a little bit. Outside of that, Kunkel goes missing at times. Nunji goes missing at times. I sometimes wonder why Jones is such this highly touted NBA prospect because he becomes a guy that seems like he's irrelevant. Yeah. Down large stretches of a basketball game. Yeah. Fremantle was a guy that, yes, I, I was pessimistic at, at at the beginning of the year because I seen him just make some boneheaded <laughs> mistakes. But but he he started to turn the corner for me. And it's like, okay, this guy's a pretty pretty good player, I must admit. And yes, you could say with him or without him, I don't still know with him if and again, maybe this isn't even a fair criticism, and maybe my 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 perception of what a good season is is swayed because I have followed a program that is expected to win more than the, the normal programs. Right. And that's 
I'm trying to reel that back in. I'm saying, okay, maybe the Sweet 16 is a huge accomplishment for 95% of the programs. However, I don't expect Xavier with Fremantle, not to, not to turn, as, as many people will say, everything about what I say always gets related back to Vegas and what they think and, and whether that's fair or not fair. No matter who they play in the first round with Fremantle, I don't think they're more than a five and a half or six point favorite on anybody that they get matched up with. Anybody. If they're at home, and yes, you could say it's because they didn't have Fremantle, but at home it concerns me, if I'm a Xavier fan, that I'm viewed upon as four points better or four and a half points better than Villanova. A Villanova team that has struggled this year. They were only one point favorites on they, the road. They, they, they lose to Butler. They lose to DePaul. And they've played a lot of close games. And, they, and, and, and the one thing that I actually think that I've, as a Xavier fan I would be proud of is maybe, just maybe, the loss the other night to Providence. Or was it, it wasn't Providence. Who Marquette. They Marquette, excuse me. Like, they played well in that game. I feel like if they play like that without Fremantle, they could make a Sweet 16. Yeah. But I don't see that team, not even on a get, <clears throat> in every other night. I, I see that team once every two, two and a half, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think the problem is for Xavier right now, the, the Butler game was just bizarre because they got punched in the mouth by a Butler in the first half and then didn't have any response. Second half played a lot better, but they had already dug themselves in too much of a hole. Now you get to a point where you play so well on the road against Marquette and you don't get the win. But I, I know, I understand, I get where people are frustrated given how February has gone the last three seasons. And there's nothing I can do sitting here to convince people otherwise except to say that I hope you can be smart enough to realize that now last year they're missing Nate Johnson who did not have as big of an impact on this team as Zach Fremantle has to this particular team this yeah. year. But in the COVID year, the year that there was no tournament, Paul Scruggs gets hurt down the stretch. I mean, Xavier has consistently had a big issue, and that's not to say other teams don't have issues. Other teams have injuries. I get it. Look at TCU. Mike Miles had been hurt. They lost four in a row. So teams have issues at this point in the season. But if, if he can come back, if Fremantle can come back, the reason that the NCAA tournament consistently says, or we talk about teams at the NCAA tournament, oh, are they a second weekend team? It's because once you get to the second weekend, it's all a crapshoot. You can control who you're playing in the first round. And you can pretty much probably control who you're playing in the second round. But by the, by the Sweet 16, has there been an upset here? Are you getting an Oral Roberts? Are you getting a St. Peter's? Are you getting some weird kind of things that might shake out? Where do you get sent? You know, does... Xavier somehow end up in the Louisville region. They basically get a home game. I mean, there's so many variables that in the first weekend you can control getting to the second weekend. And from there, it's just however the chips fall as they may. That that's where if you're a Xavier person looking at this, you have to think to yourself, if Fremantle's back, that's the expectation. If not, you roll it out there and maybe get a good matchup. Can I, can I as a Xavier fan, be upset with Sule Boom in the two of the final three games, how it's ended? He turned the ball over twice against Marquette in a game and they should have won. They were up three points with 30 seconds with the ball. Yeah. He turns the ball over twice and they lose. Yep. And then whatever happened, whatever was that final drive of last night's game. Yep. And he played He played great. I mean, yeah. He had four threes, including that half quarter. And he scored 17 points. But maybe it's falling to a mean. Because earlier in the year, when they needed Sule Boom late in the game, he was great. Yeah. He was fantastic, making making big time shots and, and closing out games. But now, 
it, it, am I allowed to be upset with the way that those two games finish? No, I don't think – I mean, yes, I, don't, I think you are. I don't think it's unfair to, to have a criticism there, especially – now, the flip side of that would be you're probably not in that position without him, but I do think that in the clutch moment where he had been so clutch up to that point – now you're thinking to yourself, and I had to question last night. Somebody was in my mentions asking me, you know, where's Colby Jones in that scenario? And that goes back right. to what Trace was saying. Where's Colby Jones in that? If, if you have a guy that's potentially a first-round NBA draft pick, why does he not at least even get a look? Why is he not? Because right. Jack Nungy said in the post-game press conference that that play that they ran, they didn't have a timeout. So the play that they ran was a drive, and then the, the alternate option was to kick it back out to Jack, potentially for a game-winning shot. Nowhere in there was Colby. So where in that scenario – do you have your first-round NBA draft pick factoring into that? It's tough without a timeout. You're just running something that you run in practice. But, again, I, I don't think it's unfair to have a criticism when you should have won that game at Marquette, absolutely. You turned the ball over twice in the last minute. And then that game last night where I don't know if you should have won necessarily based on the fact you were losing in that last possession, but that was just not a good look at the end of the game. Are fans a little bit to blame for last night? Uh-oh. It, it was dead. Oh, it was yeah. dead. It was weird. It was because everybody it was just – they were winning by 13. Then it kind of got – everybody kind of got tentative. It was like, I don't know. What's going on here? Then the last five minutes it picked up. But Right. And by that point, I mean, yeah. you, you had to announce a second T-shirt toss yeah. just, just to get people involved in yeah. the game. It was, it was dead for yeah. 35 minutes. Yeah. They came over and they were like, what are we doing here? I was like – second t-shirt toss or something my guy in the ear was like let's do a second t-shirt toss i'm like all right give me the mic God. yeah it was bad yeah wasn't a great wasn't a great environment last night but so it goes it'll well, be great it was tough i didn't know it was that i didn't know we were struggling down there at the toss like that was that. the first one this bad. year that I, I i've had uh i've had as you know my fair share of criticism at times for for uh for fifth third with their champions club and it doesn't mean the environment doesn't get good later in the game but these schools are going to eventually realize Xavier might be a little different because they don't have as many students, but certainly a, a school like University of Cincinnati and, 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 and most public schools in yeah. general, you're going to go to the Michigan State method, which is we're going we're gonna to put the first two or three or four rows around the entire court with our students. It's going to be really loud, floor level, and that makes a difference in a basketball game. There's no doubt it about it. it. It certainly does. And the champions clubs of the world where you got your, your, I don't want to call them wealthy, but you got your people that I, you know, show up ca casually late, as they say, have floor seats. And when the game starts against Houston last year, who was top five in the country and going into that game, UC, believe it or not, was, was uh, again, capable of winning that game. And at the beginning, the tip off, I'm not joking when I say this out of let's make up a number out of the 250 seats that are courtside i bet 25 of them had people in them so it's going to happen it's going to eventually become a thing in college basketball where the donors are going to realize they're going to have to sit more of like a box seat than courtside because it's too big of a difference it makes too much of an impact when the students are all the way around the floor i think yeah i was gonna say i think whether it's uc or xavier it the, the type of game like villanova is not villanova Right, right that, now, that definitely, so that, it definitely played a so, part. So that makes a difference. On the UC side of things, UC hasn't played the home games they normally play and been at the level that they have played at for the past 20, 25 years in the last five seasons. I mean, the Americans, not the Big East. And when they redid Fifth Third, the it looks amazing. But one thing I had, one gripe I had with it is the student sections 
are so small compared to what they were before. Right. And I hate to sound like an old guy now, but when I was in school at UC, the student sections were electric. One, they were probably double in size. Two, also, you go a week where they play top five Syracuse, top 25 West Virginia and Louisville, or, you know, a couple weeks span like that. So, um, but when it's packed, it's, it's loud. But the problem is when you have a schedule and a league that doesn't give you those opportunities and your team's not well, playing that well, it hurts. And so for Xavier too, you're playing a Villanova team. That's Villanova's biggest win of the year. Yeah. Like, and they're not ranked. Xavier's, well, Xavier's what, 16? Yeah. So, I mean, that just shows you where Villanova's at, and that's no disrespect to Xavier, but, like, so you understand why the crowd's not as as, as hyped. You could hear in one of the radio breaks, I was listening to uh, Byron. Byron and Joe. Byron and Joe, and you could hear uh, Paul speaking in one of them. So. Nice. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I was driving. I had, it on, I had it on going through time. Skyline. I'm like, hey, there's Paulie throwing out T-shirts or something. <laughs> Yeah, uh, look at that. Is it also so I asked: Is it fair to be disappointed in the way Sule Boom has handled two of the three most recent games in game? Is am, I always say am I off base? But I'll say it here: Am I off base by just should I resettle my fandom into thinking that Xavier's the fourth best team in the Big East? Because I thought that they were above that. You could, uh, you could probably make an argument for third. But I think Creighton and Marquette are, are their own, too. Last thing and in this UConn? segment, let's do the rankings right now, right? It's going to have to be Marquette because they are theoretically the, the team that won last night. I'd argue Marquette slash Creighton are like, Paul probably agrees with this. Agree. Yeah. Yeah, they're Marquette, right there. Creighton. They're, they're right 1A, there. 1B, however you want it. So they're 1 and 2. Yeah. However you want to flip them, flop them. Could care less. After that, um, I think it's UConn. I think it's... I think, I think it's UConn. UConn. I don't care about they had a spat for a month and a half or a month in the season, Swept but when them, it, though. you did, but when it comes time, push or shove in March, if you said to me, "Hey, guess who's on your on your uh, right below your bracket that you have to play next? You have the chance to play either UConn or Xavier." I think 95 out of 100 teams are going to say they'd rather play Xavier, so I'm going to put UConn at 3. I think Xavier's next. And I know that no disrespect to Providence, but I do think Xavier's better than Providence. Yeah, I would probably flip Xavier and UConn just because I'm I'm just still not as sold at, on UConn in the postseason as they they've just shown me too much over the last few years where they can't win in March, and it's crazy. I don't know why they have the talent. They, who, who are you putting them above that that's shown you that they can win in March, Paul? I, what do you mean? Has but Xavier they, proven that yeah. they can win in March? Has has Providence proven? Well, I mean, that Dan Hurley Pro sure has. Providence, it. Providence, you could say that has. Yeah, Providence did last year, but I mean, Dan Hurley's never made it out of the first weekend, yeah. so he's hasn't won a game at UConn, hasn't won an NCAA tournament game at UConn, and for the teams that they have had, and they've had some decent teams. Right. I, I mean, I, no one's going to argue. So, with that. so I, I just, I look at that now. They have a much better team this year. Look, they're they're sixth in Ken Palm. It's by far his best team that he's ever coached. Mm -hmm. So, I just want to see it out of UConn this year. I think they can. They were a team I said a week ago is, is a potential Final Four candidate on the on the rebound rundown. I, I think they truly are. And I would take – in fact, UConn playing at their best might be the best team in the Big East. So, but – As I've said before on this program, I'd rather they're... have a team – I'd rather personally root for a team that is inconsistent, but when they're at their best, they, could, they, can, they can beat anyone in the country. When UConn's playing their best basketball and insert another team when they're playing their best basketball, I genuinely think UConn 
could possibly win any any game against any team. I don't know if that's that. the case. I don't know if that's the case for any other team in the Big East. You, you so I, I just I just slot UConn there, and it doesn't mean I they could they could lose in the first they could lose the first game because they've shown they could do that too. But I don't know. So we'll UConn, Purdue, Tennessee, frauds. Oh man. All right, David Bell. David Bell. I, I know you guys got into some red stuff earlier. Um, I wasn't privy enough to be able to see the whole Sabo interview. I don't know what all was said there. I, I think I got the gist of it at the end that he wanted to be a part of the organization and maybe they, they, they did politely declined or maybe they didn't politely decline. I don't know. The Reds franchise at this point is what it is. It's been well, well documented. Um, I understand all the pessimistic fans. I all I understand the fans that might be excited about prospects. I think I find myself in the middle of, of most of that. Um, I don't really get that fired up about these comments from David Bell, and this is coming from a guy that I would lean a, of being outside of the David Bell camp. And the reason for that is I think that it's reasonable to admit, and I understand why people will be pissed off and saying that, they, that, that, that that's a loser's mentality when you say, hey, it's not about winning. We're focused on competing. But I, I, I harpen back to almost Casey's point at the beginning of what he had mentioned earlier, I believe, which is at some point the culture has to be set based off of expectations and principles that are within the clubhouse and competing at its most, you know, common core of what competing means is that you are giving it your everything every single day to be the best you could possibly be. And sometimes you're not good enough to win when you do that. And sometimes you don't do that and you do win. We all know very talented people that don't work hard, that get by because they're just naturally gifted. And at some point that catches up to them. I'm not suggesting that I love the comments, but I'm also not going to just say that David Bell's a fraud because he made those comments, if that makes sense. I think it's reasonable to have expectations this year that if they don't win, it still can be a success, which sounds oxymoronic when it comes to professional sports. But this is the last year of that, right? This is the last year you can say, if we don't win and X happens, I would consider it a success because... As people have said, and Tom's brought it up, and people in the chat have brought it up, prospects are just that. They're unproven players. Baseball, of all the sports when it comes to prospects, it's the reason the MLB draft yields no interest is because baseball is one of the few sports to where there's not an immediate impact with major prospects, and prospects flare out all the time, and injuries happen. That's the scary part about all of this, if, if, if we want to be Reds fans is that injuries are going to happen. We might have seven guys we like. Newsflash, two of them are probably going to get hurt in their career and something's going to happen that's bad. Maybe they all pan out, but that's not the that's more than likely that is not going to happen. And heaven forbid something happens to Ellie De La Cruz. I'm not as excited about I'm not as excited about Ellie De La Cruz as the rest of everyone, but I am excited about the plethora of guys that they have to where if one doesn't work out, I do expect one of the four guys to work out. And that's probably what I would say excites me about this Reds franchise more than the team, is that I genuinely think there are enough prospects in the hopper to where there's no way, knock on wood, that they're going to miss on all of these guys. And hopefully, I'll be optimistic that if they find themselves in a pennant race, that they will go out and spend the money at that time. I'm not going to complain 
about us not spending money on a guy like Nick Castellanos if the plan all along was to try to get the farm system back in order. And, and I know that's been the story that's been told, but if you pay close attention, they've never truly done it the way they've been doing it of late, if that makes sense. They've called it a rebuild before, but then they'd go out and sign you know, whoever to a two-year deal and act like they're, not only say act like they're trying to win, but maybe they were trying to win. But at the end of the day, they didn't have enough pieces to win anyways. Not one guy in baseball is going to make that big of a difference. So I just say to, to, to all of the pessimistic folks out there, I'm not suggesting that you should be buying season tickets. I, I understand why you would be pissed off. And I'm not even saying you have to watch the games. This is the first year that I'm going to try to develop and put myself back into the saddle and get myself excited about Reds baseball and try to watch it on a daily basis because I have lost interest for a little bit of short time because of a couple reasons. One, they weren't winning. And two, it was harder. I mean, I was spending $85 a month trying to buy cable just to be able to watch them. So that hasn't really changed. But I've made the effort, or at least conceded the effort, of trying to get back in the interest of Reds baseball. And you can be pessimistic to all you want. I'm just saying to you, Nick Crawl, if you dig down deep into the weeds of this, has made some incredible moves in the past two years that have all worked out. Outside of, uh, of signing Mike Miner, which was one of the idiotic signings. I mean, what, what the hell are we doing? And it, it, it only, it, all, the only thing I can visualize, the reason he did that is because literally Phil walked in the door and said, hey man, I'm catching a lot of heat uh, for, for not, not doing the Castellanos deal. Castellanos came out and said that we didn't even offer him. You gotta find somebody. And go sign Mike Miner. But is that a fair assertion or, or um, assertment on David Bell by saying, I don't, I don't consider that a loser's mentality when you're saying that we just focus on competing with all these young guys and that's our main focus. And if we don't win, then it is what it is. No, I, I don't think it's unfair at all. I think that's the very realistic possibility of what this Reds team's going to look. Look, all the Reds fans that are rational, are saying one common thing, and I want to knock some sense into them about this. They're saying, listen, we're we know we're not going to win this year. We just want to see some development. We just want to see these young guys play better, and that's rational. But I want also for you guys to realize what that's going to look like. It's going to look like losing six games in a row, big. It's not going to be where you're competing at day in and day out. You're just on the wrong side of 90 games to where every game's 3-2 to two and you had a chance to hit, but you just lost, and that's going to happen with young teams. It's going to look like you're going to lose games 12-2 to two mm. and get swept at home mm. against in-division rivals. Can't wait. Th mm. That's going to be what it looks like. And I just want to recognize that you guys are sitting here now saying, it's okay if we don't win. We just want to see some development. But then when in June, when that comes around, when, when those games eventually do happen where you, you get swept and you lose two out of the three games by six runs – that you can't sit there and be like, God, this team stinks. It's like you knew what you were getting into. If you expect the Reds to win any substantial baseball games or amount of baseball games the next two to three years, you have not been a Reds fan long enough or watched baseball. See, I'll push back on that because I think that next year they have a chance to start to turn, turn, turn the table to where they would – I would say that 500 is more than realistic. But 500 is something that is very difficult for this franchise to do. Well, you I, look at the last 20 years, franchise, like 
this franchise doesn't go 500 or above very it's often. Done, it's done in 20 years. It's and that's five fa- times. I know. I think it's five or six. Like, I'm going to look it up. But. Of course. But we could sit here and say the same thing about the Bengals, guys. They were the laughing stock of the franchise. They, did, they, they, but they, they, were, they still they were won terrible. for a period of yeah, time. The, bang, the Bengals go 500 almost every year, the, even when they were bad. That's the NFL. I mean, okay, well, right, that's, different not, things, that's, yeah. that's not that's not that great in the NFL. If I told you the Bengals are going to go 500 the next five years, it'd be a colossal failure. Have the Bengals- and that's largely because of one thing, and that's the culture. And that's my point, is the expectation. You've heard all these old Reds players come on, and they've done interviews with Tom, and he's done off the bench. And the one thing that I've always heard them all say, and every time I've been a part of a successful team, in my, in my opinion, is there's an expectation to win, and you've won most of your life. When you walk into the clubhouse, you don't really know what losing is because you don't do it. And that's the main concern I think Reds fans or people that are arguing about David Bell's comments have a valid point. At some point, these guys need to be winners. And my hope is a lot of these guys that are top prospects are down in the farm system and they do start to win. And they start to find themselves in those postseason games in the minor leagues. And then they all come up together and there's an expectation that, you know what? Yeah, we might be new. We might not be, quote-unquote, in a franchise that won before, but I win. And you know who did that? You know who single-handedly, in my opinion, turned the entire culture around in one clubhouse or one locker room? And that's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, more than anything, yes, he makes, he makes accurate throws. Yes, he can scramble. Yes, he's very cerebral. The biggest component that makes Joe Burrow special, in my opinion, is he expects to win, and he thinks he's going to win. You got a guy like Sam Hubbard who's on uh, Brandon's podcast that says that Cincinnati pessimism of like, hey, Joe, I mean, we got a huge monkey on our back. And Joe Burrow goes, I don't give a, you know, I don't give a rat. It, 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 that, that doesn't affect me. We're going to win. And that's what I'm hopeful some of these young guys bring to this franchise. They walk into the clubhouse. You know who else did that? Scott Rowland did that. I seen guys piling on Scott Rowland the other day because he made an air in the, NL, uh, in the NLDS when we all know against the Giants. And it's like, to me, without Scott Rowland, that clubhouse, in my opinion, might never have gotten to the point of expecting to win. There's so, that's Why do the Cardinals win every year? Is it just coincidental that they always find guys that come up and start playing well? Or is it just they walk into that clubhouse, they put the uniform on, and it's like, you know what? I feel a little different. We're going to go out there and win today. I don't give a damn what it is. And that's where I'm at with the Reds. It's like, Hopefully some of these young guys come up here, and that's the expectation. And that's the concern I have with David Bell more than anything. Does he have that same killer mentality? I don't know. I'm not saying he doesn't. I don't know. But he kind of reminds me of Zach Taylor, so he gets a little bit of a pass. You, you're, you're right that uniforms matter. You, you are right that the team you play for, the team the, that is on the front of the jersey matters. Cardinals, Steelers, you, you can name endless manners. And that's the Reds uniform used to matter. Right. It used to matter. It hasn't mattered for 30 years. And I get pissed off when people compare the Reds and the Bengals because, be quite honest, the Bengals have been a better franchise not for the past two years, but for the past 25 years. The Reds have had five winning seasons, have been to the postseason three times. The Bengals in the past 20 years have had nine, ten win seasons, have been to the postseason nine times. So don't give me that they're on the same playing field because they're not. And they haven't been for two decades. The Reds, like you said, I just looked it up. Five winning seasons, including the COVID year where they went one game over or two games over at the very end of the season, that series in Minnesota. Five winning seasons since 2000, including 2000. Like, there's not – 
I don't care about prospects. I don't care about farm systems. It's just you, you've lived it. You've lived rebuild after rebuild. You've, I'm one of the biggest Reds fans there can be. They're my favorite team over UC, over the Bengals. But there is just nothing until I see it that proves that this team is going to be a winner anytime soon. I mean, what makes you think? What makes you believe that Hunter Green's going to be the star pitcher for the Reds three to four years from now or five years from now? Why would? Why wouldn't they? Why would? I mean, we've seen. I mean, I fully expect him to be playing for a team that actually contends, or maybe he's the last piece standing from this 14th rebuild I've seen in my life, and he's still pitching for the Reds on a on a big contract, and they're still winning 70 games a year. Well, I think I have hope that in the next two to three years that the Major League Baseball brass, if we're going to call them that, they're going to figure out a way to allow teams to franchise guys to where I don't know if it gets supplemented by the league itself in helping pay guys, but they know they have a parity problem. And the only way to fix a parity problem is to try to find ways in which you can allow teams to select one or two guys that they can quote unquote keep at a little bit of a reduced cost based off of what their fair already, market value is. They already do that. They're, they're, yes, but they do it through a what? A, a, no, no a luxury major, tax. No professional. Well, no professional team gets team control longer than the MLB. MLB, you get a you get a player for six years. You get their, them on their rookie contract for three years, then you get to go to arbitration for three years, which is exactly what you're talking about: getting a player at a reduced price. So you get a player for six years. No, no league has it longer than that. Yes, but I, I, I'm, to his point, he's asking the question in three years, how do we know if, if, if Hunter Green's even going to get extended or whatever? I guess my main hope, and maybe it's just wishful thinking, is that there's enough guys in the hopper that we don't need one specific guy to be a star for this thing to be turned around. And it seems like we've always been sold the hope of one guy. And I'm saying, if it's not Ellie De La Cruz, maybe it's Marte. If it's not Marte, maybe it's Steer. If it's not steer, then maybe maybe India does rebound. Joey Votto goes off the books. Maybe Encarnacion uh, Strand becomes a good player. We ha there's 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 a there, I'm I'm not just saying this. It's lip service. There is a plethora of guys that can become something. And at the end of the day, my main point is they have a couple top of the line rotation guys. And if they get hurt, that's the scary part. If Lodolo goes down. If Hunter Green fizzles out, then yeah, it's a wash. But I'm going to tell you, that's the same way, that's exact same look of 20 out of the 30 franchises in Major League Baseball, and that is what it is. So if you hate the Reds, we can all just agree, and I'm not trying to save face for the Reds, but there's a Major League Baseball problem. And that's the, true, that's the true issue that we're getting at. Because a lot of the things that Phil says are, are, are dumb from a PR standpoint, but when you peel back the onion... There's some truth to them. There's some real truth to what he's trying to say. And I don't know whether that'll get fixed or not. And my main point to the Castellinis is, it is put up or shut up. If you can't play the game, you got to get out of the game. When guys like Cohen are buying the Mets, and they're not treating it as a business, they're treating it as just a hobby, and they're going out and spending money that doesn't make sense, they're, 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 they're taking the live golf approach, then you got to get out of the game because you don't belong in it anymore. Go sell the team to some other billionaire that wants to treat it as a hobby and they're not looking for returns. And that's the main thing as Cincinnati fans that I would be more 
curious about from the Castellinis than anything, and we know the answer so far, has been they care about the shareholders. And it's easy for us poor people, if you want to call us that, to sit around and say, hey, spend all your money and don't care what you get back. But I always say, as you've heard me say before, you die. So at some point, you might just want to have, a, have something to cheer about in your life. You might want people to like you. I don't know. You want your name to matter in Cincinnati? Do you want it to be like, do you want it to be like, I don't know, somewhat cheered for? Then spend some money and realize you're not going to get anything in return. And two years from now, my hope is they'll do that. I'm not saying they will. My hope is, I'm just saying, have a little hope that in two years, we get some guys in here that can play and we go out and spend some money to fill in the holes. All right. <laughs> Bengals draft. I've seen on my timeline, this running back from Texas, way too many times, guys. I don't even know who this kid is. I, I, all I see is the picture, some highlights of him running the football at Texas, and it's like, what about him? And I'm here to say, uh, maybe it's just a select few. I know yeah, it's I no one in this office. Right. But it's like, at what point do we realize as, as, as just football fans that that position in and of itself is the least valued position from a draft perspective of all of the positions that there are? I mean, is it because of the history of the, of the Bengals to where you have like a Corey Dillon, you got the old folks that, you know, and I say, oh, that's disrespectful. I don't want to say that. But you have uh, seasoned fans, as we'll call them, that have seen Corey Dillon come through town. They like Joe Mixon's of the world. I'm sure I'm missing some guys that they've had in their history. Um, Icky Woods, by the way, has there been a guy that has capitalized on a career that, uh, I'm not going to say it was a, it was a, a bad career, but a, a, have you ever seen a guy be more marketable outside of Ricky Fowler than Icky Woods for what he's done relatively to how much he gets pub. Yeah, Icky, Icky Woods wasn't a, wasn't a great running back. He was just on a Super Bowl team and had a celebration before celebrations are good, but he also like works at a factory, doesn't he? So I don't know. I'm not going to go into the weeds <laughs> yeah. on that, man. Damn. You want to – If you want a, a breakdown of Bijan Robinson, that's the guy that uh, – the hype is surrounded by um he is the perfect modern day running back who can do it all he can pass block which is the main reason why Bengals fans are excited about him or the thought of him and he can run he's very explosive um very very appealing in the sense of he is a true every down running back he is the guy that people would say Saquon is when Saquon can't really block that well. Is Saquon going to get his – is he going to get his uh, contract picked up back from the Giants? I Probably not. Okay, but so that, you're comparing him. What, that's my point in this whole yeah, thing. You're comparing him to arguably the best running back we've seen come out of the draft in years. Top five pick, Saquon Barkley, and the Giants are what? They're not going to resign him. And I'm not saying that the Bengals should either. I think it's very dumb that – we're mocking him at 28 because there's a lot more value there at other positions. If the league was smart, they just let him drop. But that's not going to happen. Um, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the Chiefs pick him up at 28 because that would be perfect for them. They don't really have a bunch of holes on their roster that they need to go pick a guy or reach for a guy. They could just get a top talent. That's where I'm mocking him at. And they would be back to being one of the most explosive offenses we've ever seen. I mean, there's not to be a uh, Patrick Mahomes lover here, but the yeah, opening, the rookie season that he had, 
his offense was incredible because of one factor. They had a run game with Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt went off, was crazy. That's what they've been missing for four years is a guy that's just solid. They get B. John Robinson, it, it's it's going to be a, a nightmare because, like I said. Is Pikachu he, not good enough? Did you not watch him in the Super Bowl? I saw if Pikachu. If you give any running back that's worth I, their weight in salt, they run. Like, I, I don't. I get it. I, I mean, who the hell is so much better at running back position that makes you think that they're, they're, they're incredibly. Like, Joe Mixon has an unbelievable game in Buffalo. And then he has a, a nothing burger against the Chiefs. And the only difference is they were blocking for him. Right. I'm, I, what I'm saying is there's not been a running back quite like this who was so good at pass blocking and can run the football like this. The Bengals are not drafting that running back. And, uh, Andrew has a quick question. I want you to look this up. Um, he wants to know how much Saquon will make next year. Do we have an idea of that? Like, but go ahead. And, it's probably going to be in the realm of 13 to $14 million a year. The cool. Bengals are not drafting a running back. Just no, they I, won't draft I mean, a but back. I, I guess my, yeah. my main point was like, I why mean, are we having this conversation? Why, why, why are fans like? Maybe I'm just like naive, but it's like I didn't see a whole lot of fans. I saw two two people tweet about this running back. One of them was you, and then you're tweeting about how Bengal fans are talking about running. Yeah. Back. And then I saw I, one tweet like an hour before that. I've seen some and I just stuff. Dismissed it. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just people are bored and they're just looking for something to talk about, which is probably what it is. The only concern that you could say if, oh, yeah, draft another lineman is that the Bengals have had a really tough time trying to score or, or, or hit on a lineman yeah, in the I draft. Mean, I think the, the reason why people are saying, or, or there's even a conversation to be had, is because, like I said, he, we, we talked about Joe Mixon only playing, what, 20% of the snaps? And then we had Samaje in there because he was a better pass blocker. That gets rid of the, the issue. You're combining the two players together. But like we said before on the show, time and time again, it's just not worth it. The running back position is so easy to fill. It's so easy to go find a guy that can run the ball and catch the ball. And then you just find a guy that can pass block. That's simple as that. But... What's there the what's the be, one there, area? We'll go around the room really quickly. I don't follow yeah. the uh, the Bengals close enough to really look at all their mocks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I've seen what fans are are saying. What's the position of choice in your opinion that they're going to go after uh, with their? What, they have the twenty eighth pick, I think. Yes. So we'll start with. I guess we'll just go from clockwise around the room or counterclockwise, I guess. Casey and then uh, Brandon, Breed and Paul. All right. Well, the two positions of need that they desperately need are tackle and tight end. Which one do you um, want? I'm going with tackle. I think Dewan Jones is the the five the ten out of ten pick. You can't go any better than that. Um, the dude is a beast. He's going to be Orlando Brown 2.0. That's a wild it. statement. Well, I mean, he, there's just the Casey the, does not make wild statements. Come on. Orlando Brown 2.0 is like saying that he's going to be. This is a little bit too far stretched, but like Jerry or, Rice too. All right, okay, okay. Orlando Brown Jr., which is it's what the same like a diet a, version. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean Orlando Brown Jr. is the top tackle in this free agency class, but he's not a Hall of Fame tackle. That's what I'm saying. Okay. This so you Jones think tackle? Tackle, yeah. It's gonna be really hard to pass up a guy like Michael Mayer if he's there, or or an elite tight end. But I'm with Casey. What has been the one problem for the Bengals that have kept them from winning the Super Bowl or winning the AFC Championship game last year? Joe Burrow has been on his back. Offensive line. 
Yeah, do we do we believe, and this is the question I'll pose to you guys, do we believe that Joe Burrow needs weapons or does he just need time? You could argue both. Time. But I've seen Aaron Rodgers in his prime, and I'm telling you, I know that everyone talks about, oh, well, he had Jordy Nelson, and he had Greg Jennings, and he had Randall Cobb. And listen, I don't, I don't, I, I think you could have taken whoever they had. When he had time and they were running their systematic offense, most guys in the league, there's enough guys in the world that can catch the football and, and get open. It's just a matter of if you've got a guy back there that has enough time to be able to throw the ball. I'm not saying T. Higgins is a nobody, and I'm definitely not saying Jamar Chase is a nobody. They're very important. But, I mean, Trent Irwin, if, let's face it. If Trent Irwin played for anyone else other than the Bengals, you guys, no one in this city would know who he is because I'm not saying he's a scrub, but he's a lower-level wide receiver that can have success in the Bengals' offense because guess what? The guy that throws him the football is pretty damn good and throws it to him when he's open, and he just so happens to be able to catch the ball. So, I don't know. Like, I'm more of a Joe Burrow guy than anything else. Are you of that mindset or no? I want the Bengals to draft another weapon because, oh. listen, listen. Oh, boy. We have revolutionized the league, guys. You think that the old Warriors who had Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, they needed some defense, right? Like, oh, we got to go get a defender. What's the thing that we need? Everyone sees we need a defender. No, we'll go get more offense. Kevin Durant wins, wins some championships. The Bengals have made a blueprint for the rest of the league. They have gone out and got so many weapons that you cannot cover them. And now Tyler Boyd. We always draft a year in advance. Tyler Boyd's going to be gone next year. Either get a tight end or another receiver because that's it's not what has prevented us from winning the Super Bowl, which has been line play. It's been about what has gotten us there, which is all of our offensive firepower. Keep going the route that is winning. You'll figure out the tackles, the offensive line, and free agency. Keep getting generational talent for Joe Burrow on the outside. One thing that hasn't happened yet, and Paul's going to go next, one thing that hasn't happened yet, though, you got to admit, is that all of these elite-level star position guys have not had an opportunity to go somewhere else and prove they can do it outside of Joe Burrow. Just saying. We'll see what happens when Tyler Boyd leaves. We'll see, what, we'll, we'll see how big of a name he is. Go ahead. Well, well he'll I, also be 30 at that time. I don't what he is, but... True. Go on. I, uh, I, I lean more toward what, what you just said, Reed, only because... I think that the Bengals' offensive line, when healthy, like we saw it mm -hmm. this year before everybody got hurt, I think that that offensive line is serviceable enough for Joe Burrow to be able to do what he needs to do with another offensive weapon. I'd go get Michael Mayer if they Michael could. Michael Mayer or Smith and Jigba. Sure. One of those two guys. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I said yeah. Mayer because we were talking tight end, but that too. Over a tackle. Yes. Because I think that will continue to it's, go out and get tackles or linemen in the free agency to fill the stop gap. Well, and somebody, I don't know if we said it on this or when it was said, but they haven't they haven't had a ton of success drafting them either. You could miss. You know what I love? So why swing and miss when, when you haven't done it well? When you do one thing well, I, which is I, drafting I, talent on the outside, why not do that? Because you know you're swinging and missing on the linemen. I would argue you're 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 due. You're due. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at some point you 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 just can't miss on every single person you take. So yeah, I I would uh, 
as I've said before, it's it's you look up at the the scoreboard and it's been black the last twenty times. I reds reds coming right around the corner. So before we get to Alabama and, and Nate Oates, if you haven't seen that or heard about it, um, you know, I don't want to probably share a ton about it because I don't know if all the details have come out in regards to that situation. Um, but Everett, Everett, I mean, I, I, I like Everett. We all love Everett. Um, Everett, Everett says Patrick Mahomes has one weapon. Okay. And Scottie Pippen only had one partner. Like, that's <laughs> Travis Kelsey. We're not doing the Mahomes thing today. Tra I'm not doing it. But Travis Kelsey saying he only has one weapon when Pikachu, and I'm going to continue to call him that, has proven that he's a pretty good player. They got guys like McCole Hardman and, and, yeah, Schuster and all these other names. But that's my main point with Joe Burrow. You give Joe Burrow time, I'm not saying me and Reed could go run routes and then and, and we'd win, but there's a damn good chance Joe Burrow's going to so figure wait, were it you out. So were you arguing that the that no. Mahomes has a bunch of talent around him, or were you arguing that Mahomes makes the talent? I'm arguing that he has time. Okay. Any, any, and if you have time, that's the prerequisite to being able to play well. Um, Nate, Nate Oates, I know that um, many of our viewers probably could care less about this. The main point I wanted to say is that this decision is not being made by, by Nate Oates. No. <laughs> and that's the one thing that I think has been missing right now is like, how in the world could he be playing these guys or what, what you know? There's got to be recourse for 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 let's say suspending a guy that's not in legal trouble, because if you do suspend a guy that that in your opinion did something morally wrong, but from a legal standpoint didn't do something wrong, I would I would expect that there's some kind of legality that you are infringing upon by by putting putting the justice system in your own hands as a university and i think that's what alabama is trying to stay away from they're listening to the authorities and nate oates is not making the decision and let me let me tell you something i'm not downplaying the situation by any means all i'm saying is is that nate oates has a good player and if the university tells him that he can play is there any other coach in america that wouldn't play the guy do you believe that there is do you think there's any coach in America that if the president said we can't do nothing about this situation, he's legally he's legally clear, he doesn't have anything. Well, they that, could suspend the kid if they wanted to. I'm saying they I'm, could. I'm, I'm just you're saying the president says they can't do anything. They could do something if they wanted to. Not, I mean, am I saying they should or shouldn't? No, I'm just saying they could if they wanted to. I'm not a lawyer, but I don't know. I don't know if that's whole holistically accurate. I think that you could make a claim. You can suspend as a, a kid, kid for for violation of team rules if there's a team rule of such and such. If it's a team rule, but my 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 suspicion is that there's not probably a team rule that states that whatever happened there happened. Maybe maybe there's like a well, there's some like behavior. Yeah, or whatever. there's some gray area rule that you could go on. Right, that's but all I'm saying. They haven't had to write it down yet. It, 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 it's I, in the future bylaws. It's just the way our country works, though. Like you. Listen, there's plenty of laws out there that you could argue that don't make a whole lot of sense, but they they just they're there because of these obscure things that happened that then they had to rewrite the laws to make it cover that obscure thing that happened. My main point is that before we jump all over Nate Oates, one, I don't think he's making the decision. I think that's coming from somewhere up top. The president or the athletic director are saying, "Hey, he's playing or he's a part of the team. He's not suspended or he is suspended." So my question is, they obviously said from the top down, he's not suspended. 
He's allowed to play. Is there any coach in the country that on their own moral dime is going to sit a kid as talented as he is that has that bright future that he does because they morally think there might be something wrong with that situation? I think it depends. I, he's closer to the situation than we are and that we know right now. If he knows, I, yeah, I think there are coaches in the in the country that would that would sit a guy over those moral obligations to answer your question in short. But it is incredibly dependent about the circumstances that that we don't know about yet on the outside. Alabama has been cooperating, and Brandon Miller has been cooperating with all of this from the very beginning. The university, the team, everybody was aware of what came out yesterday. Um, and if you don't know for any reason what we're talking about. Brandon Miller, who's a lottery pick, potentially maybe a number five pick in this year's NBA draft, plays for Alabama. Alabama, probably the best team in the country right now. Um, one of the Alabama basketball players, not Brandon Miller, shot and killed someone about a month ago. Um, and it came out yesterday that Brandon Miller was the one who took the gun to the crime scene. Now, it was not Brandon Miller's gun. There was... There are a lot of details that, honestly, I don't want to even talk about right now because I got to read through it and I don't want to say something I shouldn't um, or, or get anything wrong. But there are a lot of details. In fact, there was a phone call to, into the Paul Feinbaum show about an hour and a half ago I haven't had a chance to listen to yet because we've been on the air. But that that laid everything out that everybody was tweeting about that that laid everything out. So uh, as far as what you're saying, Trace, I, I think it if Alabama was cooperating from the very beginning as they were, they knew about this situation. They weren't public with it, but they were upfront about it within their program. Um, then I, 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 it's a weird situation because it's tough to suspend somebody when they're not in any legal trouble. But it just, on the surface level, is a very, very horrific situation yeah. that their best player is involved in. And oh, by the way, Nate Oates really stepped in it yesterday with everything that he said and then had to clarify later through a statement. So... Um, yeah, just not a good situation overall. Wrong time. Yeah, so let's, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and say it. Say wrong time, wrong place you see, is yeah, one of the worst answers to what happened. And this is where I'll, I want to defend him because I feel like he came off a practice court. There was no time to debrief. He wasn't really even privy to all the information that the reporters had when he came off the practice court and had microphones in his face. And I'm not suggesting it's anyone's fault. I'm not saying the media shouldn't have done it. I'm not saying... Um, that he should have even been privy to the opportunity to talk in that moment. So he walks off the, the practice floor yesterday, is really not inclined to know everything that's come out. They stick microphones in his face, and he kind of regurgitates something that I know he wishes he had back, which was, hey, this is what I know. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Not something you want to say when a guy who's brought a weapon that ultimately killed somebody. And if you had to do it over again, I think there's one thing that we can all have come to the conclusion of at this very moment is that when you're in a situation to where you are reeling and you aren't really privy to everything that's going on, or you're in a moment in your life to where things are spinning, spinning fast. And you've seen this, you've seen this with people trying to to clarify things at times. You've seen people trying to apologize for certain things at times. It never truly comes off well most times because yeah. you don't have time to process really all the, all the dynamics at play. And again, 
I'm not here to defend Nate Oates completely. I'm just saying that I don't believe there's malpractice in his situation. I think that he's been presented the evidence that he's been given from the top down. They said, hey, he's allowed to play. And if you got a top, I don't know, I don't call him top 10 player of the country, but one of the best freshmen in the country who you could argue could play in the NBA. If they tell you that he's allowed to play and you don't know everything, I'm not going to crush a guy for playing him is what I'm getting at. Sure. And I don't think he's... I don't think he's a bad person for playing him. Is that the is what our, is where I'm going at the end of the day? I'll tell you who is a bad person though, <laughs> and that's Jeff Anderson. And I am being dead serious about this. If you don't know who I'm talking about, Ohio's, just go on Twitter and type in the man's name, and you're gonna quickly realize that this guy is a selfish, righteous, attention-seeking. Name that I don't want to say because I would, one, curse on air, and I'm trying to stop doing that. He is the worst. The absolute worst. And what I mean by that is that he feels like at certain moments and certain times and certain situations, he wants to make it about himself. And I genuinely think that's what it is. This isn't like a one-time instance to where, oh, he made a bad call. No, this guy does his little stupid high knees things down the floor from time to time because he wants to, he wants some attention. He wants people, oh, look at that guy. He's a, you know what the best referees are, as we all know? Ones we don't know who they are. We don't even know they were there. They were there and they were gone. No one knows their names. Those are the best referees. The referees where you know their name, think about it. You know Joe West's name? Why do you know Joe West? Because he's terrible. The cowboy? Terrible. He's terrible. That's why you know his name. You know Jeff Anderson's name because he completely butchers calls all the time in meaningful situations, and he does it in a flamboyant way, and he has a smirk on his face when he does it. And at some point, when, are, when is he going to get held accountable? When is he going to get held accountable? Because, it's, because there's one profession that we all talk about all the time, and they make huge impacts on games, but there's no accountability. I never see accountability. There's no accountability when it comes to college basketball referees for the most part. And there's no accountability when it comes to NFL referees for the most part. They get swept under the red rug. I would love one thing and one thing only. I'm not saying they need to be fired. I'm not a fire guy. But I am accountability. I want those guys to sit on press row after the game. I want reporters having access to them to answer and ask hard questions. I want to know when you were standing 45 feet away from a guy that was on the block and you want to call an over-the-back foul when there's a referee that's two feet away, why were you making that call? I want to hear Jeff Anderson's answer now. That's what I want to know. And we never do that to these guys. They get to walk in the gym. They get to run up and down the floor. Mr. High Knees gets to do his boom call. And we just walks out the door with a check and no one has answers. He's terrible. Look him up, Jeff Anderson, on Twitter, and you will find people complaining about this man time and time and time again. Casey, roll it. This is this is run roll the tape. This, Look at it, this. this this is why this is why he needs to be the center of attention, Trace. This is where you're wrong, because this guy has talent. Look at that. <laughs> That's talent. When you have talent, you show the world talent. Look at that. that That's guy. a five four buzzer beater. Make it about yourself, Jeff Anderson. Hell yes. That's what, that's what it's about, Trace. It's not about the kids. The kids? What? It's about Jeff Anderson. Oh, hi, news. 
showing his stuff. He's a great ref. Count it. He sucks. And that's the nicest thing I can say about the guy. If he's refing a big game, which he probably will. Oh, he does Final Fours. Oh, I'm aware. I'm wondering. What's, where's the accountability? That's all. And you know what? The accountability doesn't mean that he get fired. It just means they have to answer questions that are relatively insightful and, 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 and relatively, in my opinion, thoughtful questions that you could ask a referee. Yesterday, for instance, let's, let's, well, let's backtrack. We don't even Ooh. need to go through this whole thing. Let's backtrack to the goaltending call on Xavier when they played at Butler. I'd like to know what he saw. Who called that? Jeff Anderson. And then let's wait, go, wait, let's wait, go, wait. Let's go to let's go to the Duke game. Ooh. The next where, night. The next, the next night, night. Let's go to the Duke game. If you don't remember, I think that where were they at? They Virginia. were they were at Virginia. The guy clearly gets fouled with like a, a second and a half on the clock. When you go to the replay, you could you could make the right call. You could say, you know what, man, he did get fouled. And there was time that up. Nope, missed that one too. Same guy, back to back nights. That was a coincidence. No, no big deal. And then last night, I see him at the Creighton game against Marquette. And he made four calls in that game with the under eight timeout to the end of the game that were just blasphemy. They made no sense. He's making calls. And you know what's funny? You know what, my, you know what the telltale sign of a referee is when they make a bad call? Genuinely. They get mad. Instantly. Someone argues with them. They defend themselves instantly. They get super, super, super defensive. And last night... You don't take no crap from Dougie, Dougie McBuckets. McDermott gets a little excited on that steal at the very end of the game. And the first thing my man does is not, not continue officiating. He turns at Greg McDermott. That's his name, right? Yeah. And starts arguing with him. I can't stand that guy. Jeff Anderson... Maybe I'd like him to have a beer, but as a referee, I'm telling you, you'll find out. One day you'll find out if you're watching a game. You'll immediately know if that guy's calling it because he'll be doing high knees down the sideline looking Casey, like Russell Wilson. Casey, go to that same Twitter account that tweeted that video out and just go to a video. That Twitter account tweets out his high knees from a clip from every game that he does. So go... Just find one video. Just find any of the videos of, of his highlight doing a high knees. So it's funny you bring this up. I, I've i worked with officials for a while. Jeff Anderson has been – I've known this name for – I mean, God, he's been doing games for, for years and forever. But I remember like six, seven years ago, first time I saw him doing his high knees up to court, and I thought, ah, oh, that's kind of a funny act. And I, I realized real quick, boy, is this guy just – it's all about Jeff all the time. It's all about Jeff. He's got God-given talent. And I kind of I reverse course on him a little bit because we hadn't had too much controversy in the last couple of years. And then, boy, this year I remembered why we had been the same way we'd always been, where it's just always all about the show. Trace, I think I found your, your personal hell. Personal? There yeah. it is, Casey. Bring it on up there. Look at those knees. Uh. That's not even the best one, but there's some no. other good ones. You have to see that guy. He does that all the way down the floor. Like, what are you doing? What a loser. I mean, we have a guy named TV Teddy. Oh, you want to get UC fans riled up. Long-standing rivalry with TV Teddy. That guy. Teddy Valentine. Holy cow, you talk about loving the spotlight. He should be on Broadway. Yeah. Is this where he starts arguing with him? Yeah, I mean, what referee does that? TV Teddy Look at him, he steps thing. right up on top of him. He steps into him. Yeah, he literally goes right after him. 
Who wins that fight? Oh, McDermott's <laughs> beating his ass. McDermott's a man. He's yeah, a, he's, he's a beating his ass. And in fact, I'll tell you what. Last night, Jeff uh, Jeff Anderson's lucky he wasn't standing on my front porch because I'd have beat his ass too. All right, Trace. Um, before well, I, before I gotta get TV Teddy to, to, to <laughs> before we move on, this is just. I want you to imagine your personal hell. You're on a fl- flight. It never ends. You keep trying to fall asleep, but as you fa- try to fall asleep, both aisleways. There's just Russell Wilson. And what's his name? <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Anderson. Anderson. Jeff Anderson. You talking about being on a down, plane? Running up and down the, the aisles of the plane, doing high knees. And you can't fall asleep because they're just making too much chatter. They're the worst. I know. You know who they remind me of? They remind me of the guy that Tom was talking about on his show that was, that was uh, talking real loud on the plane, you know? Mm. Oh, yeah. That was on his show, right? I believe. Yeah. 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 I didn't know if that was like behind the scenes in the office or if that was on his show. But. Um, before we get to the vault, yeah. Casey's going to pull this up. I know I'm talking, well, not on camera, but that's okay. Oh, no, I am on camera. Sweet. Casey's multi-talented. Yes, Love it. TV Teddy and Mick Cronin got into it at UConn, like, I don't know how many, 10 years ago now? I don't know how long it was. But TV Teddy goes at Cronin, repeats the repeats the signal, just watch this video. It's, and I know Xavier fans hate Mick Cronin, and they have every reason to. That's fine. But Mick's getting, they're getting rocked in the second half. They're the number 11 team in the country. But Teddy goes in his face. It's the guy just, TV Teddy is well known, I think, more than Jeff Anderson. But it's the same thing. Yeah. Jeff it's has made a name for himself this year, I'll tell you what. Who has? Jeff. If people didn't know him before, I mean, I've known oh, him yeah. for years. But if you didn't know him before, you know him now. The fact he's on this rundown that we're doing right now, people know him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the worst. I mean, imagine, imagine being a referee, and there was a game that was played last night in Omaha, Nebraska, and there's a Cincinnati sports talk show that decides, of all the things that we could possibly talk about, of all the things we could possibly talk about, I was passionate enough to put his name right there on the list. That's how big of a, you know what he is. So anyways, I'm going to move on. But if his name comes up again and he causes me any more distress when I'm watching a great basketball game and he decides to make a call 45 feet away from the actual guy that, that he's calling the foul on when there's another referee that's literally three feet away, who wins I just f- want accountability. That's all. Who, who wins a win- fight? Who wins a fight between TV Teddy and Mick Cronin? Mm. Oh, TV Teddy's yoked, man. He's he wears huge. those, he wears those extra well aware. small shirts. I mix wasn't, it, wasn't a hard, Mick, wasn't Mick's a hard got some grit in him, though. I mean, you think Mick, Mick's a West Sider? Yeah, I, I mean, he's a West Sider. I'm not, not going to give in on the fact that Mick might not look take at the West Side TV love, Teddy. everybody. LaSalle, man, LaSalle. I, I, listen, sometimes it's not he's the a Notre uh, Dame, he's a Notre Dame mascot. It's not the size of the dog in the fight; it's the size of the fight in the dog, as they've Ooh. said many of times. I don't know who said that. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a quote um, person. I didn't know. I didn't know totally the Ric Flair quote earlier, if we're being completely honest. You guys need to culture yourself. In the vault, uh, have not even looked at this, guys. So I don't know if you have something quickly to, that we could go around the horn and, and maybe give a give a pick. I will tell you this. And we talk about gambling probably too much at times, but we are sponsored by Bedfred Sportsbook, the official sports book of Cincinnati, as we've said time and time again on this show. And the sponsor of this show, if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 plus in Ohio. Um, I always feel like I should say like terms and conditions apply or something weird when I do that, but I don't think that's a part of the script. So this is the main point I want to make. Last night, I was seeing the board very clearly. I made a couple 
large wagers that worked out in my favor. I also made a couple large wagers that were on parlays. And parlays are the biggest scam going, man. And that's my main point. It's like, if you want to have fun from time to time and throw a little bit of dust on some parlays, go for it. If you think in your right mind that you're ever going to get ahead gambling by doing parlays, it's just never going to work. It's always going to find its way back to where you're going to lose. Because the truth is, unless you go three for three, four for four, five for five, you, ought to, you, you lose. It doesn't matter. I looked at a, 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 a ridiculous wager I made last night. I had a nine-game parlay. Out of the nine games, I lose two. And the second one I lost was at the very end of the night. The first one, uh, so I was like eight and one. And I had lost whatever it was. Some money, some, some decent money. Put it this way, the parlay was paid out like, I don't know. $25,000, something ridiculous to where if I won that, I, I think I'd retire. Um, but I, I, I start to think back, like if I, if you just, if you just stay patient and you take same, same unit size, single bet and you're, and you pay attention to the show or you even pay attention to just decent handicappers. I genuinely think over the course of time, you'll be net positive. I'm not saying you're gonna make a ton of money, but there's this, there's, there is this weird balance between entertainment and trying to make money because if you if it's all about just trying to make money you're gonna be it's 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 insufferable right you're gonna you're eventually gonna be miserable when it comes to gambling because it's just not a game in which you're supposed to win clearly the lights aren't bright in vegas because everybody wins as we all know but i do think that we as an office at least in my opinion we're starting to see the board pretty clear because i've told you once i've told you twice i'll tell you three times vegas knows something at all times i'm not saying the games are rigged but they certainly put traps out there every single day and if you're smart enough to be like this doesn't make sense and you bet the opposite i guarantee you over the course of your life you're going to win money it's as simple as that if you fade fade what you think is a smart brain you'll probably win money um Having said that, what do we what do we have in the vault? Do we do we have anything that we like? Is there so, big games tonight? Providence and UConn is probably the only. I mean, Kentucky, Florida is a big game. Is that at UConn? It is at UConn. That line's what like eight? Yep, eight. Yep. Seven and a half. That makes sense. I I take the over there, one forty three. Houston, fifteen point favorites against I, Tulane. I kind of like Tulane in that one. Houston just plays so slow. All right. I don't know. I was thinking Houston. I thought that was a big line. I was like wondering why it was so big. Yeah, so it was just, it's just a lot to cover for such a slow tempo. But I mean, I'm not going to bet. Who, who we're talking about? Uh, Houston. Houston, 15 point favorites against Tulane. It is the banner night in the Big East tonight. Outside of uh, outside of um, UConn and Creighton, or uh, sorry, UConn and oh, Providence. I know where this is going. It is a banner banner night in the Big East. Do you know why, fellas? Because Georgetown plays St. John's tonight. You said that Georgetown was better than St. John's. I think if he could have that back, he'd he'd take it back. Two and a half point underdogs at home. DePaul plays Butler. The circle of suck meets tonight. There's only one person that should officiate that game, and that's Jeff Anderson. I mean, he might be on a game. No, you know what? Well, yeah. He might be at the Butler game. Just throw the the complete cesspool of uh, of, of college (laughs) basketball. Put it all in one game. DePaul hasn't won since they beat Xavier on January 18th. (laughs) Butler just lost to Georgetown at home over the weekend. Georgetown beat Butler but had lost the six straight games. And St. John's, I mean, they're just... Do we have any pack pack basketball tonight? We do, I think. 
UCLA plays tomorrow. Yeah. Always play on Thursday. That's UCLA underdog. Uh, Maryland's at home. Is Ohio State play? No. They do not. They do not. Damn. They play tomorrow. Maryland's at home. They've been a wagon. Who do they play? They got Minnesota, who's bad. Very bad. Is that line like nine? It's 15. Wow. I didn't know Minnesota was that bad. Oh, Maryland's good at home, man. Ohio I know. State, well, obviously, yeah, they beat Purdue. Ohio State might be favored tomorrow. Who do they play? Penn State. Ohio, at home? Yeah. In Columbus. Oh, gosh. Oh, it might be Ohio State minus one and a half. I'm just saying to be prepared when you see the lines. <laughs> it, is getting, it is getting scary to bet against Ohio State because you know. You no, it's kn- not. You know- we've already won so much money. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I mean, we've already won so much. I mean, don't, don't try to pick the spots. It's already the gravy train, baby. Yeah. <laughs> the, one, the one for tonight, Kentucky on Ken Palm is two-point underdogs. They are three-point favorites in the game that's a five-point swing don't see that much where uh, who, so, kentucky and who kentucky is at florida tonight huge win for kentucky if they can get it that's another quad one win that would basically seal their ncaa tournament hopes if they can get it as long as they don't lose to vandy um but that is a that's a game that florida is favored in on ken palm by two that kentucky is actually favored by three and in, in vegas so just something to look at you usually don't see a five-point difference like that how close was the um, ranked underdog parlay yesterday? Oh, got three. You would have been uh, two point three units positive if you'd have taken yeah. them all straight. Okay. Yeah. Texas, yeah. Texas was the one we all knew wasn't going to hit, and that never even yeah. came close. Right? If Tennessee, if Tennessee would have won, we would have been really sweating those last two games because the last two didn't hit, which was gotcha. which yeah. was Indiana against Michigan State and Iowa State against Texas. But if it would have hit the first four. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd yeah. all have a jolly good time. It's true. So and Tennessee was looking good too. Tennessee was winning. Yeah. All right. All right, let's go. Well, we've kind of gone over a little bit, fellas. I don't know if you noticed, but it is one twenty one in the middle of the day. Reds we are have, back. Reds are back. I hope they are. As I've said, I understand the pessimism. I'm not even gonna fight against it. I think if you want to be pessimistic about it, go right ahead. Not gonna do a whole lot for you. But just, just, just look at it from the perspective that what, how much worse could it possibly get? It can't. It genuinely can't. Opening day last year was fine, right? It just can't get worse. So that's the outlook I'm going to take on it. And I'm hopeful that we can get a situation where we have a couple guys that play well this year that, we're, that we can count on. Is it, when, you watch, when you watch baseball games, you know what I hope to see? I hope to see more guys like Stevenson who look like big league hitters. They're not streaky. They find ways to... I can hear that the whole time, by the way. Just saying. Right. <laughs> Just messing with it. That's what you're a fidget. You're a fidgeter. You need to like a fidget spinner. That's what they made them for. I think they made them for kids just like you. I've got a Peloton. Hmm. I've got a Justin Fields. What else have you you've, uh, compared to a fidget spinner? Justin Fields, okay. which is very much that. I'm looking for guys that are like Joe Burrow and not Justin Fields. Joe Burrow doesn't make flashy plays. He just makes the routine plays, and he makes them look relatively easy from time to time. I don't need no flash. I'm not asking for Ellie De La Cruz to come up here and be a superstar that everyone hopes him to be. I want three out of the seven prospects that everyone's excited about to have solid years and look like Stevenson when they go to the plate. They look like they belong. They look like... From time to time, from time and time again, it's it's repeatable. 
because I'll be honest, there's been a, it's been a long time in Reds fandom for me that I've seen a guy like Stevenson and couple that with some others that look like they're going to be consistent players. I love Jay Bruce, guys, as much as anybody, but I don't love the way Jay Bruce performed. It's just like two weeks hot, two weeks completely cold. That doesn't win when the going gets tough. All right. That has been Box Lunch on a Wednesday, February 23rd, 2023. We will be back Friday, and we should have some news, hopefully by Friday, maybe early next week, about what we're going to do for March Madness. We hope that many of you that join this loyal show uh, or join us loyally every day to watch this show, that you'll come and watch some basketball with us. And I promise that I will not root against Xavier. I'm just saying that I'm not a believer. And maybe they'll prove me wrong, but we will find out here in the next couple weeks because this is this is the uh the proof in the pudding as they say or the cream will rise to the top in march all right we didn't do a wheel of lunch i don't know where we're going we'll figure that out but thank you for watching and uh take care everybody